The Bitcoin blockchain has intrinsic and encoded limitations on data storage and file size on-chain. But with new technical solutions, we can have far more powerful inscriptions. Inscriptions 2.0. Let's talk recursion and re-inscription. This is Ordinals Learn Space with Ordinally and Friends, and we are here to learn about the brand new world of Ordinals. Let's go. We need to just brush up on a few things, um, such as what are inscriptions themselves? And uh, maybe a little bit of an anatomy of an inscription and and the and how an inscription is made. Is that, is that a good place to start in your mind, or do we need to go further or more basic? Oh, even more basic. I mean, you know, what, yeah. What is an inscription? You know, at this stage, feels to me feels fairly basic, but 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 happy to to dive into that again. Um, you know, the, the the basic idea is that that inscriptions are a way to permanently store or inscribe as we say inscribe data on the on the bitcoin blockchain um, and associate them with an ordinal um, an ordinal is a specific satoshi and uh, these two things together give you the ability to to store data so for example a piece of art an image um, and through the association with a with a specific satoshi an ordinal um, you can then use bitcoin uh, uh, transactions to to transfer ownership um, of these uh, of these inscriptions. That's kind of my my uh, twenty second uh, uh, intro. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, so, so one of the um, one of the realizations I came to in recent weeks was actually that I keep thinking of satoshis as uh, as buckets or like a box which you can. Or even like a tile, which you directly inscribe onto, but that I've I'm starting to realize is not actually the case. You're not actually, it's not a storage item, or it's not a a repository of data per se. The satoshis, but you're actually with the transactions, you're um, you're associating the file with the satoshi, and that's that's. That's a digital artifact in itself. Am I am I getting close with that? Yeah, I think that's the right way to look at it, right? Because the you know, like 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 I tried to say, like the the inscription is just storing the data on the blockchain, um, and and that would work without any association with ordinals, right? You could just um, you know, you you could just make the inscription and. Um, and and essentially not have this association with some, with, with a satoshi, but the association with the satoshi is is essential um, for this concept of being able to transfer ownership um, of uh, of inscriptions. So so like you say, yeah, it's an it's an association. You you essentially um, you know link um, uh, yeah link. You could say you link an ordinal, or you have the ordinal point to an inscription. Um, you know, I think what image you use um, is, is is pretty much up to you. But but like you said, it's it's not one box where you can put only one thing in. But it's a you know it's a um, it's an association that that gets created when you when you do the inscription. Okay, and the inscription itself, how in in kind of broad terms how does it happen like is it uh yeah how does the inscription or this 
uh, transaction point to the file from a Satoshi's? How does the association happen? Yeah, so so that's essentially a convention that is that is established with uh, with you know the the ordinals protocol that Casey um, established, and we have a convention convention that, that you know there's a specific transaction that you make where the uh, where the data that gets inscribed goes into the witness data of a transaction, um, and the uh, you know and that. Uh, you know that that's in a specific input of a transaction, and the um, the convention we have in the in the ordinals protocol is that the you know when you do like a single inscription in a in a given input that the um, that the inscription is associated with the first satoshi of that input that contains the uh, you know the the data that is being inscribed um, in the witness data. Um, and you know it's it's then using kind of the you know the standard ordinals protocol where essentially you know if you think of a bitcoin transaction you have you know a set of satoshis kind of going from all the inputs to all the outputs the sum of all inputs always equals the sum of all outputs plus fees um and then you can just you know kind of visually have this this very simple kind of left to right flow where you know, first Satoshi or first input goes to first Satoshi or first output and so forth. Um, and when you do a new inscription, then, you know, kind of, you know, staying within this, uh, within this kind of visual image, the, um, the inscription is being made on the, on the first Satoshi of the input that contains the, um, you know, the actual inscription transaction. It does all sound very technical. I hope that's, you know, I'm hope, I, you know, I hope I'm, <laughs> I'm coming across in a, in a in a way that makes sense to you. Yeah, no, it, it does, and um, and uh, yes, yes, technical, but that's what we're here for is is to learn. Um, so if I can summarize, we're we're seeing uh, inscriptions or, or digital artifacts as associations between um, a satoshi and uh, a, a digital file, um, and inscription itself is uh, is. Uh, forming that association between the between the file and the satoshi um, with the transaction. Yeah, it's um, both storing the data. It's, exactly, it's both storing the data on chain and making the association. So it's two things at once, right? That's the that's that's like the nature of the inscription. Okay, okay. So if we're going into recursion and reinscription as topics, then do we do we also need to talk about where the data is stored in terms of the chain, um, or, or, or let, let us know what's relevant around that. Like, where is it stored in terms of? I mean, I think all the details. Like, you know, there is there there, there is this like one of the innovations in the in the in the ordinals inscription protocol is that you know it leverages some of the um, you know um, Bitcoin protocol enhancements that came with uh, with Segwit and with Taproot um, to essentially you know have a fairly efficient way to store, um, uh, you know, essentially arbitrary witness data in a, uh, you know, in a taproot, um, uh, you know, in taproot witness data. Um, but, you know, I think for all intents and purposes, what, what we need to know here is that, um, you know, the data is stored as part of a, you know, of a transaction witness. Witness is kind of the 
the part of the transaction that contains the, you know, was, was introduced with SegWit to store essentially signature data. Um, and um, yeah, so it's stored as an integral part of a, um, uh, of a transaction on the Bitcoin blockchain. And um, I think really both, both reinscriptions and recursion, you know, they don't really change anything about that. Um, but, but both of these kind of devices kind of, you know, open the door to interesting, um, interesting new possibilities. And, and the combination is, is even more interesting. So, you know, may, maybe, maybe we can start going into those uh, topics. And I think it doesn't really yeah, matter with which one we start. It's, uh, you know, it's yeah. Kind of a... Sure, sure. Well, why don't we start with uh, re uh, recursion? I, I think that was the first one to kind of uh, hit more news, uh, especially with collections like OnChain Monkey. Um, so, so maybe you can let us know what what is recursion and and what's the big deal about it, uh, and maybe yeah. with with some practical examples of, of how it relates to some collections that are out there already. Yeah. I mean, recursion is one of these things. It's like a very, very fundamental concept in computer science that that's used to, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, structure programs and, 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 you know, really allow the, the, the full expressive power um, of, uh, of, of programming essentially. And, um, but if you, if you want to, translated you know it's maybe a little bit of a technical and scary term again if you want to translate it kind of into more real world normal kind of language think of it as as the ability to just reference existing inscriptions that's one of the key uh, things with with uh, um, with recursion think of it as having you know building blocks that that are already on chain and that you can use to to put together a new inscription. So instead of having to inscribe kind of repeated data over and over again, you can just reference existing data and and put together your inscription. And I'm I'm saying this kind of very abstractly because you know I'm talking about data and I'm not talking about specifically about uh, whatever layers of images or things like that because it really is that general. And I think we have seen some really. Uh, I still think we have only seen the tip of the iceberg here, but but already what we have seen, I think, from this, you know, on on the protocol side, this isn't really even a change on the core protocol side. What uh, what recursion is is essentially a small kind of um, extension or even you know kind of opening up of the, uh, the, the 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 sandbox model that we essentially have for. For viewing inscriptions in, in the Explorer um, to allow referencing other inscriptions. And what that unlocked really is, um, for example, the ability if you have a, you know, a, um, a generative collection that is made, you know, where you have your individual inscriptions made, uh, made of layers, you can just inscribe your layers. And then um, each inscription is just essentially a recipe that say, okay, take this trait, uh, you know, whatever, you know, uh, this trade, this trade, this trade, put it together, and that's my that's my final inscription, and you get massive savings on file size. Um, but you can also inscribe, for example, um, you know, JavaScript libraries, right? This is part of what uh, Unchained Monkey has has done. Um, they inscribed some some you know very core uh, JavaScript libraries that they can then reference in their inscriptions to, to render their 3D 
um, you know, their 3D renderings. And the great thing is everybody, um, you know, who's making new inscriptions can can build on these building blocks as well. They're free to reference for for anybody who's making inscriptions. But this also yeah. goes beyond programming and images, right? You could, for example, one use case could be, okay, I want to ins inscribe a longer video than I can do, you know, in a single inscription. Like even if you get a four megabyte block, you have uh, you have certain limitations. Um, and it's 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 not you know you need you need specific support from a miner to make a full four megabyte block. So um, you know you could pull together data from multiple inscriptions into one video or into one song file or you know so you know there's there's kind of endless um, endless options that this opens where you can just put together things, uh, remix things that exist, and um, and it, it it really opens up like this you know kind of essentially everything that's been inscribed is suddenly your, uh, you know, kind of your set of Lego pieces to put together and, uh, and, and, and incorporate into, uh, into what you're inscribing. Awesome. Awesome. So, so just to process this myself. So pre recursion, pre recursion, we were limited just by inscriptions being kind of standalone um, files attached to a Satoshi or associated with a Satoshi. And, and the limitation there was file size of a certain amount um, and mm -hmm. they were standalone. So, and, and then with recursion, what I'm hearing is you're able to kind of, kind of uh, put together and compose, I've, I've heard that word as well as compose um, elements from different inscriptions so that it's not just the standalone Satoshi that you're using. Um, you, you can reference other ones and, and that's you can reference you so can, yep. absolutely you can reference other ones and i think um the um you know kind of one of the core tenets of ordinals really is that that you can only like you know everything is on chain right we, we we only um i mean you know it would technically be easy to inscribe you know in, in uh, you know an html file or javascript that you know, references data from all sorts of places all over the web, right? But that's not what we what we want to do here. Uh, you know, we want to have, you know, an ordinal to be kind of self-contained to things that are stored on the Bitcoin blockchain. And what recursion opens is it opens it to the uh, to the world of other things that have already been inscribed on the Bitcoin blockchain. So um, that that's maybe an important. Uh, um, you know, kind of consideration here that um, that that you know it, it doesn't break this this core tenet of like you know with an ordinal you you know you know what you get right uh, you know everything is on Bitcoin and um, and we are not breaking that. There is a second interesting aspect to recursion, which you know often is kind of mixed together, but I but I think it's it's useful to look at that separately, and that is that we have also started adding some endpoints. Um, uh, to the explorer that allow incorporating other data from the blockchain. So, for example, you can reference the um, the current block height uh, in an inscription. You can also reference the you know the hash just, just of for, the just just hmm? uh, just, yeah. just um, to educate as well. Block height. When, when you're saying block height, what are we talking about? So, block height is the uh, essentially the number, the the, the serial number of the uh, of the latest Bitcoin block. Um, you know, uh, so far we had uh, roughly 795,000 blocks. Um, 
in Bitcoin's history, there's on average a new block every 10 minutes. Um, so since 2009, you know, every 10 minutes on average, you get a new block. That brings us to, you know, a little more than 795,000. I can look up where we are exactly. We are at uh, 796,195 as of 18 minutes okay. ago. Um, yeah. and, and so block height is like, you know, that's kind of the Bitcoin way of referencing time. Um, you know, uh, many podcasts in the Bitcoin world start with what's the current block time. Um, and, um, you know, it's like, okay, what's the, what's the number of the latest, uh, of the latest block that was mined? Because, you know, in the end, Bitcoin also often is referenced to as the time chain. Uh, one of the key jobs that, that the, you know, the Bitcoin consensus mechanism really achieves is, is have distributed decentralized consensus around sequencing of, of transactions, essentially around time. So uh, block time is like a very, um, you know, it's kind of like a very uh, central concept to, to, to Bitcoin and like what, it, what innovation it also brought to, to the world. So, sure. and, um, and know, so being able to mm -hmm. reference, being able to reference block height or, or time on the chain, like what, how, how could that be used, for example? Yeah, so um, again, and this is where the creativity just, just uh, you know, is only just beginning. Like a very simple example is Raf, uh, you know, a few days ago inscribed the, uh, you know, the clock that, that was his very first contribution also to the Ordinals. Um, you know, uh, the, the Ordinals code base. It's a clock that essentially shows the time in terms of the Bitcoin kind of time metrics, like, you know, current block, time to next, uh, you know, difficulty adjustment, having, etc. Um, you know, many Bitcoiners have a block clock, uh, you know, in their room where you can see the current, you know, the current block height. Um, so, so you can just use it to tell time, but you can also use this as an input to, for example, make your inscriptions dynamic, right? You could have, um, you could have an inscription that, depending on time, looks different. For example, you know, whatever, it changes a certain property or, um, um, you know, making an inscription dynamic based on you know, the, the, you know, the central clock that, that Bitcoin gives us. Um, and, you know, there, there, there is, um, or you could make an inscription that is only revealed after, you know, after a certain block height or only shows after a certain block height, right? There's, um, uh -huh. this, yeah. this is just, I'm, I'm just giving some random ideas, but, yeah. but I'm sure like in, in a few months, we will see like a, a large range of things that have been, that, that, that people are building on top of this. It's, it's, a, it's a small building block, but I think it opens, you know, many possibilities. I mean, the, the thing that popped into my head was having a collection that's like little pets. And if, if, what, if I, what I'm understanding is you can reference block height and time, then you could watch the little pets kind of grow over time. In yeah, life for example, in for example, yeah, for example, exactly. And you can, so, so block height. Hmm? I'm uh, just saying someone do that. Someone who wants to do that. I'm I'm, sh I'm sure we will have examples uh, uh, shortly. Um, you know, another another endpoint is um, you know the again this sounds technical, but it's like the hash of the of the latest block, that, and, and essentially that gives you a source of randomness, um, which again opens up you know a number of really interesting applications. You could use it to just you know just 
make a part of your inscription render in a dynamic fashion. Um, but but randomness really is an is an you know is a core ingredient to to a number of um, you know a, a number of interesting applications. So you know suddenly we have a good uh, we have a good seed for for randomness um, that you can access from your uh, from your inscriptions and again make them make them dynamic based on. Uh, so, for example, you could have a reveal of your art that is like provably, you know, if you have a generative kind of algorithmic uh, uh, art, um, you could really make it, um, uh, you know, reveal based on uh, based on the hash that is at the point where you inscribe is unknown of the, um, you know, of the block um that that is that is current when you um, when you reveal it things like that right which which so far haven't been possible. So just just to check, um, so when you're talking about endpoints, what exactly, what the end of what? And, and <laughs> it sounds like you're talking about it sounds like you're talking about um, char um, characteristics or. Uh, Features I, of something. I snuck in another technical term here. Yeah, no, yes. good, good question. So, so endpoints. Um, so you know, when we talk about recursion, like one of the things, like recursion is always about including or calling something else. And we talked about two things. One of the things that can be included is other inscriptions, and the and the second kind of category of things is is what I call these recursive endpoints. Now. Endpoint is a technical term for, um, you know, essentially, um, um, you know, API calls, so, so calls to specific functionality in the Explorer, in the, um, in the, in the Art Explorer, um, so that when you have, you know, um, a piece of JavaScript that, that uh, HTML that references um, a certain URL, um, you can you know, you can reference, you know, the block height, the hash that I mentioned, and, um, you know, uh, potentially other things in the future. This is this is kind of part of what, you know, I think needs to become part of, um, you know, the protocol on a, on, a, on a, you know, slightly different layer than, you know, kind of the core protocol of how does an inscription look like, how is it numbered, etc. Um, this is essentially what, what access does an inscription have, you know, an HTML JavaScript inscription have to, um, you know, uh, you know, what's, what, what's the, what, what's the essentially runtime model for, for those inscriptions, right? Initially they, they, they had been very, very kind of heavily sandboxed and, and, and weren't able to reference uh, essentially anything outside uh, what is in that specific inscription. And what we have done with recursion essentially is opened up that sandbox in a very controlled way to be able to reference other contents of other inscriptions and to uh, reference these specific um, sources of information, let's say, from the blockchain, these endpoints that I was talking about. Sure, sure. Okay. So so if I've you've talked about recursion as being um, useful for like generative art and for those in NFTs, um, we're very familiar with that, like these traits that you can layer on top of each other to, to compose a full piece. Um, we've talked about um, recursion in terms of referencing these other endpoints like block height. Is there, and then you also said before that you think this is just the tip of the iceberg. Is there, what else do you think 
we'll be able to see in terms of potential that's opened up with recursion. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I have uh, I have seen or heard about you know ideas to use this for for games, for music, for videos, like essentially for putting together things that I think if you inscribe them, you know, completely self-contained, it's just from a from a from a space perspective, it's not it's not really feasible. I don't know if all of these applications, like in the end, will um, will make sense, but but essentially you can. Um, you, you, you know, I think we will see a lot of experimentation, and I think uh, there will also be a good chunk of that that that, that works out um, of um, essentially decomposing, um, you know, other artifacts into you know into reusable pieces and um, and uh, and making them available. And I think also like the other thing is that that we will see is you know that, that there's so many useful um, you know. Uh, you know JavaScript libraries, building blocks that um, that that then give like completely new capabilities to to uh, inscriptions if you can reference those libraries. Um, that that I think over time we will see more and more of these building blocks available. Um, you know because someone decides to inscribe them and then then they can be referenced from that point on in other um, in other inscriptions. So I think that you know it's just essentially. Building up this this repository of of shared uh, you know shared building blocks essentially and um, um, you know I think the you know I've been surprised by some of the ideas I've heard like it's you know I think this this really opens up like creative experimentation and um, and I'm, I'm I'm sure we have only seen the beginning of it. Yeah, I mean I think just a couple of days ago. Um, there was a few music producers and they jumped mm -hmm. on an ordinal space and they were kind of just talking about the potential of music. But I guess in my simplistic mind is that even having someone's voice, like a singer's voice, that would be a larger file than could be managed um, on the chain, I would have thought. But where I could see it happening is, if, like for example, like electronic music or drum beats or things like that, where you could just have a, a single note or intonation and then being able to reference that to compose a full track. Um, is that absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I think for voices, for example, for, um, you know, that, that in my mind doesn't lend itself really well to, to this kind of decomposition, but it's, but it's, it's things that you can decompose well into reusable pieces. And, and like you said, I think, you know, certain electronic music, for example, is, is is much better suited to that than you know, like a like human voices, for example. Um, yeah, agreed. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So, okay. So, I think is there anything else we haven't touched on yet with recursion that you think is really important before we move into reinscription? Well, I think let let's move to reinscription and then 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 sure. let's make the link back together to recursion because there's some interesting you know kind of combination here. So. So reinscriptions really is this is this is on a uh, you know we, we talked about you know what is an inscription right it's it's putting the data on chain and associating it with one satoshi. Now um, one of the things that um, you know is 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 something that you know in the early days the 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 org client the the reference implementation that. Um, 
that that we are working on is uh, you know has been enforcing is that a single satoshi can only be inscribed once. Um, but that hasn't always worked since you know if you didn't have your index up to date, for example, then you could you know make a new inscription to a satoshi that was already inscribed before. Right? There isn't anything technically stopping you from doing it, except that there was you know a, a check a verification in the in the art client code to to try and prevent that. And then when you know kind of when we when we looked at that uh, more closely, we thought, well, you know the um, that's really kind of an arbitrary restriction to say, you know, you can only associate one inscription with a given Satoshi. There's also really no way to prevent it that, you know, because it's a decentralized protocol, anyone can change the, you know, can make a fork of, fork of the reference implementation and just reinscribe something. So it doesn't really make sense to try and stop that. Um, you could, of course, try to do that like on a social consensus layer, but, um, Kind of where we ended up is like uh, reinscriptions are just kind of a natural part of uh, this protocol. If you do a new inscription and you um, have a, a Satoshi on that input that has been inscribed before, then you have you know a second inscription or a third inscription or whatever on that same Satoshi. So what reinscriptions essentially um, uh, enable is that you now have a single Satoshi. That is, that is associated with multiple inscriptions. And one of the properties of that is that they can never be pulled apart, right? So if you, if you, if you have made two inscriptions on one Satoshi, there's no way to just transfer ownership of one of those inscriptions. You can only move them together. So they, they are kind of you know, linked together in a way that is, um, that is, that is uh, you know, that is, um, you know, unchangeable. Um, there's no way to, to, to separate them apart. And this also opens some interesting, some really interesting applications for, you know, if you put it together with recursion. And this is, you know, this is what, um, what uh, I think we also referenced earlier in the, in the um, OCM Dimensions launch that, you know, Danny had this idea, well, we could essentially use a reinscribed Satoshi as a kind of variable in, um, you know, a, a place to store data um, or state on the blockchain that an inscription can reference. There isn't at this uh, point, like there's a PR <laughs> open. Sorry, yeah, yeah let, let's break so, it yeah, down. Yeah, as a variable, uh, you lost me at variable. Okay, so a variable in programming is a place, essentially, that that's essentially a, a, a box where you can store data, right? So if you have a um, you know, if you have a, you know, a function or a method with a variable, then, you know, for example, you want to compute the square root of X, then X is your variable, right? You, you put an X and, you know, X can be whatever, can be nine, and then the answer is three, or you put in 16, and then your answer is four. So variables are, um, are essentially, um, you know, uh, you know, containers where you can put different pieces of data into to try and explain yeah. this um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a little more kind of normy way. Um, and essentially what, you know, right now we talked about earlier that a recursive inscription can now be dynamic because it can reference time and it can reference the source of randomness. But what is not possible without something like 
this device of reinscription is to you know actually have a way to to have that inscription reference like a change in state so for example what you could do is you could have a specific satoshi um, where you inscribe um, you know just the state true or false and you know initially you say okay it's it's false there's a zero there um, and then you can have a, uh, you know, an inscription reference that state. And as long as it says uh, false, um, it doesn't render the inscription. Um, and then, you know, as soon as you re-inscribe that Satoshi that contains the, this, this piece of state and set it to a different value, then the same inscription that hasn't changed, which is, not, which is referencing the Satoshi, um, can now show different behavior based on that state change. So you have a way to essentially um, mm -hmm. inject state in a, in a very controlled on-chain way um, into inscriptions. And it's a, you know, I, I find it's a very elegant, um, a very elegant way to, um, to have, you know, kind of controlled dynamic behavior of, uh, of, of inscriptions. And so that's, state could be applied to the different inscriptions the different reinscriptions on the same satoshi so you could have five different states for instance yeah but you could for example for a, for a whatever for a for a uh, you know generative collection you have you could say well you know i have one trait that i update every season with you know whatever you know the um the latest um the latest fashion trend um and you know, then then one trait gets updated. Um, you know, it's something that um, that opens again interesting possibilities where um, you have a way that is completely on chain, that is also completely transparent, or you can make completely transparent um, to to essentially inject state into um, uh, into into inscriptions. Interesting. Okay, so just to uh, just to process in my head, um, so with re, re with if an inscription is an association of a file with a satoshi, and mm -hmm. reinscription is just forming more inscriptions or more associations with the same satoshi. Mm -hmm. um, a, a, a few questions that came in: Is there a hierarchy to the inscriptions, or is it just like chronological order, or is there a primary one? And does anything happen to the pre pre-existing ones? Like, does the inscription number change, or something like that, if you inscribe again? No. Yeah. Good. Good. Great question. So hierarchy, no, but there is a strict chronological ordering. Which is you know determined by the by the blockchain. Um, the first inscription I think will always have a special um, a special status because it's the first time that Satoshi was inscribed. I would expect that that's the default kind of that would be displayed, for example, in an uh, you know in an explorer if you if you um, you know look at the inscription for a specific satoshi i would expect that the first one is like the one that is kind of shown most prominently um but 
you know, then 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 essentially after that you have a sequence of reinscriptions. Now, you know, it might also be useful to show the latest, uh, you know, uh, reinscription also in a prominent way. But that's really kind of then then up to how you how you use these um, inscriptions. From a protocol perspective, there's only a um, you know like a chronological order. You will always know like in which order were these reinscriptions made. Reinscriptions okay. don't change anything about inscription numbers or um, you know any of these things. Like um, the the inscription number is assigned, you know. Uh, when an inscription is, is indexed and it, it's completely independent from the question of, you know, what Satoshi is the inscription made on. So this, this doesn't change anything. And, 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 you know, that again is like a core tenet, right? You, you can't change anything about, uh, you know, this stuff is inscribed on the blockchain and, and, and you can't really change this. Now the inscription numbers are kind of, um, you know, are, are on the, um, uh, you know, kind of a part of indexer consensus. The inscription number itself is not not on on chain, but um, but that wouldn't change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. got it, got it. And I think so, there so was in, one in other. My... You, you had one other question in there, which which I like, but I don't think uh, I answered. Uh, um, uh, I asked about hierarchy, and I asked about does it change pre existing. Yeah. Okay. No, then I think data. I think we probably hit everything. <laughs> cool. Yeah, and um, so sim simplistically, like in my simple mind, if we look at reinscription just by itself, then I think of like a, a, a an art gallery or a series of art. Like, I I think art anyway. So I think just a series of pieces that you just you can keep associating with the same Satoshi. So. In my mind, it's like, oh, I've, I've found this Satoshi, like maybe it's an uncommon Satoshi, or it's got a significant aspect to it. And then you can upload different pieces onto the same Satoshi. And it's like a gallery that keeps building. And you can, uh, well, I've heard that you can do this in, infinitely. You can reinscribe infinitely. So then you could have a, a whole gallery of photos or a whole family tree on there or something like yeah that. and the um, exactly i think the, the thing yes i mean you know there's no there's no limit to how often you can reinscribe it's just you know um you know to, to reinscribe infinitely you need infinite amounts of time um but um but other than that there's no limit the, the thing you have to keep in mind right if you reinscribe on the same satoshi then you you create an inseparable link between these these inscriptions. You can only transfer them as one bundle, which I think is something that is that is that can be really interesting. But if you put your whole gallery onto one Satoshi, then that also means like the ownership can only be transferred for the entire uh, for the entire collection using the you know using the, um, the 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 ordinals protocol. You could have like meta protocols, whatever that 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 you know. Um, um, you know, maybe establish some protocol for uh, for changing ownership of of individual reinscriptions, but that's something that is completely outside the normal uh, ordinals protocol and not something that uh, that that has been done yet. And nor do I think it would be really useful. I think I think one of the um, nice properties of this is that yeah, you're, you're making a decision to put this really onto the same 
onto the same canvas essentially and now it's uh it's it's linked in an inseparable way got it and is one of the you mentioned variable before and that idea of introducing state yeah. to it so if you have this whole gallery on a single satoshi could you turn off some of them and then so if you had the jelly penis one that's inscription 27 or something could you turn off jelly penis and then start um from the next inscription um, using that idea of state and variable? Yeah, the, the turning off thing really has to, has to be encoded in the inscription itself, right? This would be something that you do in the, in the code for the inscription. You can't like retroactively turn off, for example, in an existing inscription. What you could do, for example, is you could inscribe um, a viewer for, you know, um, existing inscription and then you know add a capability to turn on or off certain inscriptions in that viewer based on these you know reinscribed variables but that's something um that yeah that's something that would be doable but it's but like you, you can't retroactively change anything about things that that have been inscribed and and yeah. the the logic for this would have to be in the inscription uh, it needs to be, you know, like a JavaScript-based um, uh, inscription that that has this logic built in. And I think there will be, you know, many interesting things happening with with reveals and, you know, maybe, you know, keys being inscribed to to, you know, unlock something and, you know, uh, quite interesting things that that I see potentially happening here. Good. Okay. So, is that? Anything is there anything else to cover on reinscription just by itself before we talk about how it emerges or how it kind of synthesizes with other things? No, I think that's that 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 really um, that really captures like the basics um, as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then you you kind of alluded to before that there there is some kind of uh, interface between recursion and reinscription or or ways that they can work together. Yeah, yeah, and that's essentially this idea of the variables, right? So you can have like through recursion, um, you can we do not have, you know, the endpoint officially yet that makes this easy, but there's a PR and a proposal to have, you know, for example, an endpoint. So you know what I talked about earlier, like this this API call essentially, uh, where you can get you know the latest uh, reinscription, for example, for a given Satoshi. So that is then the link between reinscriptions and uh, recursion, where um, you know using a recursive endpoint call, you can reference the latest value of a given uh, Satoshi, and that essentially gives you this ability to have uh, controlled state changes um, for, for for inscriptions. Cool. Yeah, yeah, got it. So, is recursion is live from what I understand? Is reinscription live? now or is that something we're looking forward to so reinscriptions have been uh, a part of ordinals and i think in the beginning mostly accidentally um since inscription i think 250 or so so very very early on um we had reinscriptions that that were made um and what we introduced in release 060 is that we are recognizing reinscriptions and are indexing them as uh, cursed inscriptions. Um, 
we did make in the 060 release, uh, we had them unbound. So they were not, like the inscription was recognized, but it was not associated with a Satoshi because that required a change in the index. Uh, in the latest release from last week, uh, 070, we added the um, ability to ORT to actually track all the reinscriptions of a given, um, you know, of a given Satoshi. Um, and, you know, for the more technical minded people, you know, instead of using a map from Satoshi to inscription, we are now using a multi-map. So one Satoshi can be mapped to multiple inscriptions. Um, and so that's kind of the next step to full support for reinscriptions. Um, what is still missing is um, we are not showing them in the uh, in the Explorer yet. So that's coming. And what is also not supported yet in the in the art client is uh, you know actually a flag to allow reinscribing. Right now, um, it's still um, uh, you know has that check built in that that tries to prevent reinscriptions. Um, there is you know um, there is uh, you know forks of art available. Grex fork, for example, that can do. Um, reinscriptions. Uh, it's fairly easy to also, you know, turn off the uh, the check for reinscriptions in ORT itself. So there's ways to do it, but official support for that will be launched, um, you know, with the over the next few releases. Like the overall, what we're working on is like kind of finishing out the support for uh, for all the different types of cursed inscriptions, and you know, we're taking that step by step because there's some um, there's always some bigger Kind of internal changes that need to go along with these things needs to be tested carefully so we don't want to break anything ideally and um, so you know i think to to have full support and art for reinscriptions in the explorer in inscribing etc is is probably you know kind of two more minor releases away but um you know i would say we're about halfway there so all reinscriptions then going forward um will be curse inscriptions so they'll have negative Will they have negative uh, inscription numbers? Yeah. So um, it, this this thing seems to be so hard to explain. Every time I explain it, like people ask, is that, you know, will the numbers stay negative? So the the the, the plan is um, really quite simple. Um, everything that has a negative number now will always have a negative number also in the future. Um, so what's a cursed inscription now will also be a cursed inscription uh, 20 years from now. Um, and, you know, I think what is causing the confusion, so, so two, two things there, like what's important is that the, the negative number itself is not stable. If we, if we try to keep the negative number stable as well, then we get into the same conundrum as we had before, where we can't make any protocol extensions, where we can't recognize any additional types of cursed inscriptions as they get found. Um, so we need to reserve kind of this, this caveat that the negative number itself can change as more, uh, you know, types of, of cursed inscriptions or to, to, you know, kind of, uh, you know, maybe use a more, more, more normal language, like more protocol extensions are introduced um then um the negative number itself might change but curse remains cursed um there will be a certain block height um yet to be determined we had we had been talking about you know uh, a round number that is probably coming up a little too soon at this point but um 
uh, number yet to be determined from which point on um, the types of inscriptions that currently get recognized as cursed will then in the future for new inscriptions be recognized as just completely normal inscriptions. Um, and that part I know is kind of what, what I think is leading to confusion. So what that means is that if you make an inscription, let's say, you know, a parent-child inscription right now is cursed. Um, after this future block height, we talk about the, the blessed era where cursed inscriptions become blessed. If you make a parent-child inscription in the future, after that block height, it will not be cursed. But, you know, uh, inscriptions made before that block height will remain cursed. So it's kind of a little hard to explain, but but if you think about it, it's kind of, uh, you know, very simple. The idea is not to, um, you know, have this, have this mechanism so that we can introduce new protocol features, introduce important things like, like parent-child uh, re-inscriptions, uh, things like that, without disturbing the existing positive inscription numbers. And... Um, while having the freedom to um, to, to to recognize um, you know new types of inscriptions, and the interesting thing is that like new things are kind of discovered or experimented with completely organically. For example, inscriptions on you know uh, that that are that are using uh, you know kind of pure sequit transactions or no taproot, um, and we have found you know I think we have probably uh, seen three or four more types of cursed inscriptions since we. Uh, started working on this that um, we just hadn't been aware of before. So it's uh, it turns out to be a good mechanism to kind of support, uh, um, you know, this 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 type of thing. Um, so it's kind of like so, and we can probably spend Asia talking about curse inscriptions, but the curse inscription pile in my head it's like a a, a laboratory a, a laboratory where you're experimenting and there's like mutant stuff. And then once there's consensus and protocol updates or whatever, then that gets, then that's finalized. And then further ones of those new types get added onto the, the normal blessed inscriptions. Yes, perfect. Yeah, that's right. that's yeah. a very, very uh, concise way of saying it. Yeah, perfect. Okay. And then the, so negative 100 now though, will remain that because it was before the yeah. protocol update happened. But it might become negative 101 if, you know, a new type of cursed uh, inscription yeah. is found and recognized that, you know, we hadn't been uh, aware of. So, um, you know, that, that, that's the thing, like it might shift in the negative space. Um, so the negative space will always be like in the true chronological order on the uh, on the blockchain we will not like you know kind of what we're doing here is like we're preserving the, the the positive numbers but that can only work if we if we reserve the right to to change the negative numbers um, because otherwise you know we, um, we, we 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 get into like i said before we get into the same conundrum again that we can't ever make changes and you know to keep the numbers stable